News. Hello and welcome to the Shadow Oodcast News, reporting on world events with an almost suspicious computer-like efficiency. Today's top stories... Everyone who entered the National Lottery last week has today won the National Lottery. It appears that every single one of the 2.6 million people who entered the nationwide competition picked the same numbers. And then, as luck would have it, those same numbers came up in last Saturday's draw. Many mathematicians have warned that the odds of this happening are vanishingly slim, but still others have pointed out that this is exactly what happened last week too. Each jackpot winner is set to receive a life-changing check for just over 81p. Criminals responsible for a rash of ATM robberies have revealed that they simply guessed the four-digit PIN numbers of multiple stolen credit cards. Charles Tofu, 28, who led the gang of thieves, was quoted as saying, It wasn't that hard, we just tried our own pins and they all seemed to work. High-profile magician and psychic mentalist Darren Brown has today retired from public life, following reports that everyone in his audience could also accurately guess what number he was thinking of. In US news, Sesame Street was once again brought to you by the numbers 7 and 22. But in a surprise move, the episode was also co-sponsored by a new arrival, the letter T. That was the Shadow Oodcast News. I'm thinking of the number 7 million and 7. If you are too, that means I'm a god and you should all bow down and worship me. Good night. Oodcast News. Hello everyone and welcome to another Oodcast, the Ood One Out edition with me, Chris Sigma. Hi. Really nice to have you back. Uh, wow, you know Doctor Who, we're, we live in great times and this podcast is here to celebrate these great times. I am particularly excited this week to welcome two incredible co-hosts, one you already know and love, that is Chris Alpha. Hello. Hello, Chris. That's, that, isn't that our manifesto? Wow, Doctor Who. We have a second incredible co-host. It is John Henry Four. And I'm not in the least bit credible. Hello there, Chris's. How <laughs> we are, are we? the Chris I. Uh, we are. We are very well. We are here yeah. to review uh, the episode of Doctor Who known as Extremists. Extremists, yes. Which makes me think of Iron Man, but I'm a comic book geek. It was, and that's the one with the uh, the intelligent metal virus or something like mm, that. Yes, like, sort of Warren Ellis, isn't it? It is. Ooh, yes, it is. Who I lives in my that. hometown Ooh. of Southend-on-Sea. I don't know why anyone with money would want to live there, but he does. <laughs> I, I'm from Jersey. Uh, we could, I'm, I totally appreciate the need to be very close to faded seaside glamour. I think, I think uh, Southend-on-Sea, <laughs> very, very much pro. Yeah. Victorian wonderland. Oh, yes. Since gone very much to pot in all senses of that word. Absolutely. Um. John Henry, would you like to just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, as a man and as a fan? 
as a man, as an, I mean, my my fandom goes back to the the hinterlands of the nineties uh, when uh, a girl called Sophie Baker, no relation that I know of to either of them, uh, or Pip and Jane, or Pip and Jane. Uh, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. She, you know, it's never occurred to me, but what she got me was a VHS copy. <laughs> Of time and the Rani. <laughs> and for some reason, at the age of eight, uh, I fell entirely in love with time and the Rani. <laughs> and I think I, so. That was my my way into Doctor Who. Amazing. Uh, I know. Yes, it's uh, it's it's beautiful. I'm very very fond of uh, of that and the Ke- the Plinky Plonky Kef McCulloch score. Uh, I've got the Pleasure Dome soundtrack on my itunes which i listen to occasionally when i want to relax cool. uh, in indolence just checking that you know that this is being recorded <laughs> i want to get um, this all out broadcast the yeah okay cool get this, uh, yeah and, uh, yes and uh, off the back of that i became uh, a doctor who fan but since those heady days you were also a uh, a, a very well thought of comedian actor improviser uh, and, and well, yeah. One of well, one of my pieces is one of my my character, my main character is the Story Beast, who's a kind of immortal wizard, and who is very much, I suppose, based on. Well, I don't think I'm going to get cast for Doctor Who, so I might as well create opportunities to pretend to be Doctor Who or a Doctor Who character. I mean, you you would be an amazing Doctor Who I, I, doctor. So I don't know why I'm saying Doctor Who. Like, I don't know the character's called the Doctor. <laughs> Let's not open that particular can of worms. Because there is the, there is the description, isn't it? It's Doctors Who to describe uh, actors who played the part, mm-hmm. and uh, Doctors to describe the oneth to the twelfth, thirteenth, whichever one we're on. Thirteenth on, yeah. I like I I I think the War Doctor's a Doctor. Yes. He's great. Was great. He was. Yeah, he was. was. R.I.P. But, but I don't really care whether he was a Doctor or not. He's there, whether he is official or not. So. Absolutely. Hooray. True Ooh. enough. Speaking about uh, doctors uh, who who are often forgotten, <laughs> uh, the the, uh, the George Lazenby's, uh, I, I believe this week does mark the the uh, 25th anniversary of... The 1996 movie. No, is that That's right? That's correct, yes. yes. Yeah. Tw- 25 m- years of the Paul McGann <laughs> movie. That guy, I've got to say, when he returned in that tiny little uh, minisode, the amount of wasted potential that he demonstrated mm. there, like if we could have had him for a few seasons. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's wonderful. I, I'm, I'm still immensely fond of it. But again, uh, having become a Doctor Who fan in, in 1996 and then to find out that it was coming back mm. was incredibly exciting. I felt like I was at the crest of a wave and then precisely nothing happened. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> He just he just oh, went away, and I, I thought I was going to be the cool kid for once, but no, no, no. I, I don't want to not be the cool kid, but it was twenty one years. Twenty one, twenty one years. Yeah, I mean the math says it's twenty one. Obviously, with us, it's it's oh gosh, twenty one years. So it is twenty one years. Oh good lord. Oh, that's more embarrassing than it, it took me several minutes it? to work that out too. Yes, <laughs> no, it's twenty one. Yeah, it's it's. But it's still significant. It still should be celebrated as much as we have obviously just celebrated it. And Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I've just gone back through the conversation. There's no <laughs> way that I can edit that out. So we are just no. going to have to live with that. It's, 20, it's the 21th anniversary <laughs> the 21th. of Doctor Who, <laughs> colon the movie, or The Enemy Within, uh, your, your opinion. But actually, the one thing I wanted to point out about that film is because 
it is significant because it's also the last time the master was formally executed. Yes. Yeah. And also, it's an adventure that may or may not have existed, may not have happened, <laughs> yeah, depending true. on your head canon. Well, actually, no. What's the um? What's the canon that said it maybe well, didn't exist? He's not exist? half human, is he? Oh, of yes. course. Yeah, so that's uh, yeah. So he's. But I mean, the Doctor rewrites the universe all the time. Oh yes. Uh, someone came up with the idea that in fact he tricked the Master into thinking he was half human <laughs> <laughs> by stealing some humans' eyes. <laughs> One thing. It's Bill. Oh. It has. Ah, oh, it's just Bill continues to be uh, a little ray of light, con- uh, continually just a human, an actual human, because I feel that that's been a bit lacking in in old Stephen Moffat's regime. Mm. Uh, I think having a, an actual human person to be our way in, to be our eyes into the Doctor's stupid world, I think <laughs> is is just lovely. And uh, again, we have a little. It's been a rather subversive. Series, and I'm sure this is bit, people have remarked on this before in previous episodes. But again, to have a little, to have a little bit of sitcom drama that happens to feature two women of colour who fancy each other, as opposed to a heteronormative couple, that does feel subversive. Just to, to normalise it, and uh, that is also a really cracking scene. Uh, you don't even need to know uh, is she is she Catholic or not? Is but the Pope walking in on your date <laughs> <laughs> is is a pretty is, I mean a pretty universal experience. I think we can all we can all, we've all had times where the Pope has walked in on our date. Yes, uh, metaphorically, in, exactly. Mm. Yes, so I think I think that's a universal experience uh, it displayed in only the way that Doctor Who can do and uh, Bill's uh, necessary anger. <laughs> At the Doctor ruining her date, and that being a little little thread, her little thread throughout this uh, episode, the little C plot, I suppose. She says something like, "I'm going to go and have a truly awesome word with." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Yes. But she almost doesn't need to say anything in that scene because the look she gives mm. it's just speaks so much. It's it's that was very funny. I'm trying to do it right now. Can't quite. Um, Unfortunately, on podcast. podcasting as a medium. I mean, despite your incredible abilities as an actor. <laughs> are you feeling this at home, listener? If you are, he, John I'm, Henry's really trying to give that look. I am. <laughs> it, it's very yeah. intimidating here. I don't... It's a beautiful look, though. I agree with you. There's also a lovely coda to that right at the end where the doctor, the real doctor, is talking to the, to the real Bill and he says, call her tonight. You know, mm. we're going to have to save the world tomorrow. Do that tonight. Which yeah. I th- and and also just his utter, you are good enough for her. I thought was really heartwarming. Out of my league, no, she is not. Phone her. That Absolutely. was really nice too. But it feels it feels like a friend saying that mm. as opposed to as opposed to as he to tries to pick it up. You know, sexy man, sexy amazing yeah. superhuman from space or what have you. But uh, yeah, it does feel like a like your mate saying that. Yeah, and that's been yeah very nice. There's a nice dynamic of power going on there. Christopher Alpha, hello. Um, well, I'll, I'll continue the companion theme then and, and say Nardole, um, because I was really unsure. At the beginning of the season, I was really unsure because I found it really annoying in The Husbands of River Song. Um, and there was no reason he was there. It seemed really counterintuitive, the whole thing, and I thought this, is, this might be terrible. But actually, um, I think it's working really well. There, and, was, there was a sense, wasn't it, that Matt Lucas was quite famous and yeah. a big Doctor Who fan. And so if he said, 
I'd, I'd quite like to stay in the series. <laughs> then the BBC would go, oh, okay. Then, yeah. yeah. To he's begin not, with. He's, he's, he's very much pulling a Catherine Tate at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, where I was, I was absolutely mortified to discover that Donna Noble point version one from Runaway Bride would be in an entire season of Doctor Who. <laughs> and she, I, I recognise that I was wrong about that. She is an amazing actress and Donna Noble is, of course, now considered quite rightly to be one of the classic companions. Yeah. But it is that arc and Nardole... It's hard to see the arc, I suppose. We're, but, but we are halfway through the arc. Yeah, we are. And uh, we at least have a <clears throat> reasonable explanation for him being there. Yes. True. And he is good value for the... I mean, he doesn't dominate anything, which I think is really important. And he's good fun when he's there and actually plays quite a crucial role. Um, and he got a chance to show some kind of steel, even if it was slightly tongue-in-cheek, um, you know, and in a, a not-real universe. You know, he still got to, to do that whole, that whole, yes, of course I'm a badass kind of thing. Um, which is, you know, he's, he's, Matt Lucas is producing a, a range of stuff, which I'm not sure I've seen him do in one place before. Um, and works really well with with what's going on in the series, and I'm really relieved, I suppose, but <laughs> impressed. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I agree. My third point is Nardole as well, but because I mean, I have a slightly different angle on it, which is he uses his George Dawes voice to be the priest. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. It was a lovely little Easter egg. Like everyone who watched Shooting Stars knew that that was him oh, immediately you know? because it sounded so much yeah. like George Dawes. <laughs> I didn't realise that that's what he'd done. But I did think, oh, that's Matt Lucas, as soon as he started talking. And I didn't know why. But maybe that's it. Oh. I mean, it's not quite, but it's the, very you know, near. He needs the drum kit. Then I would have got it straight away. <laughs> I feel like if he had walk, the priest had walked in with a, a small drum kit that he was holding, <laughs> it would have been a, weird. In a, in a baby glow. <laughs> <laughs> I think he should be allowed to adjudicate at the end of the Doctor. I think I'd be very, <laughs> very intimidating, actually, if the Doctor were to bring Nardole on with a drum kit before the adventure. Like, Eventually, I'm going to have to reveal the scores, and I can assure you, I will be coming out on top of this. <laughs> Give us the sh- scores. Little Nardole! <laughs> it doesn't rhyme, but it's fine. Yeah. That now, rhymed, then. Now Give us a drum roll! <laughs> Little Nardole! Oh, yeah. There we go. Now we know what will happen if Vic Reeves has ever made the Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Just to add to that, that scene I really liked, uh, the bit where he appears to be reading from the Bible and it turns out Mm. to be the Diary of River song. And there's this bit, which I wrote down, which is um, without hope, without witness, without reward, that's where we know who we are, Mm. when no one's looking. And I love that idea. And I love in darkness we are revealed. So it's a really nice little point, but also thematically it links into the Mm. Doctor's blindness. It's just a really smart bit of writing uh, and really beautiful and lyrical, and he's good at that, Moffat, when he's when he curbs his well extremes. Well done, Yeah, he is. He's great at that. <laughs> well, I can then carry on what you were saying then, because my next part was the scenes with Missy, because I think in theory it shouldn't have worked. It's not connected until the end of the episode, and they're very different in mood and in pace and it's and tone i suppose mostly because missy well michelle gomez is allowed to not chew the scenery mm. she's she's allowed to not be massively camp but just be vulnerable and sharp and it 
just is brilliant. I mean, the the setting for that, again, the last time I was here, we talked about Smile, and the setting for that is amazing. And I think if it's the same person that found this location, they should get two promotions now because <laughs> that, that's an amazing location to shoot on. And the rest of the, I mean, the... Oh, whatever. Do you know where it was? No, I, no. I haven't actually... It's a good, it's a good look. Back. Wales, probably. Wales, probably. <laughs> Everything's in Wales, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought those scenes were magnificent. I think they work. I got a bit of a sense of, you know, the old John Pertwee, Roger Delgado mm. kind of relationship between the Master and the Doctor, which just has been missing from Missy and this Doctor. Missing from Missy. Um, yeah, because she's just so grandstanding and ridiculous. I would just like to say that, once again, we have mind-melded, and my second point is the Doctor-Master relationship, mm. so I'll just stick my oar in there as well. I agree with you about the performance. I agree with you about letting the script, letting them have space, mm. which is amazing. I think it's... um. I think it's a really mature story arc to reveal what's in the vault halfway through. Agreed. Because Doctor Who, when it started flirting with story arcs, it was like, mystery, and in the last episode, you'll find out. But this is great. We find it halfway through. It makes sense. It's not a pulling the rug out from underneath this one. But there's more, right? We find that out, but there's a mystery inside a mystery inside a mystery. There'll be more to it. And it was the obvious answer. It wasn't you know, ridiculous amounts of trickery, you know, faking us out all the way. Yes. It, it was what we thought it was. But it's the reason that was, you know, he was there with the vault that is the mystery, really. So we still don't know why she was being executed. And maybe that's, you know, by the by, and maybe it doesn't really matter. It's the master. Because, you know, yeah, it's always going to happen eventually. Um, and if the Daleks couldn't <laughs> couldn't manage it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's nice that it's not something ridiculous and it's, it's what we thought it was. I mean, it, it, the suggestion was for a while it was probably going to be the, uh, it, was, it might be the new Doctor potentially oh, yes. in there, which yeah. I, I thought was quite fun in a sort of Watcher style way. That would have been <laughs> yes. quite fun. But of course, from the moment he, uh, I mean, they played their hand, I think, in the in the uh, the Landlords are Evil episode with the, I forget the name, but uh, where they said, oh, also, oh, knock, knock, that was it. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Chris. Whereby... Also, some teenagers get eaten. Well, of course, it's going to be the master, isn't it? The the doctor doesn't like the idea of that, or pretends he doesn't. Yeah. Little sadist. (laughs) Yeah. The other point I wanted to make is, you were talking about the physical location, but also this idea of a race that just specialises in being able to kill any species (laughs) is a really nice race to have included. This is a nice new toy box. And I, I, I just enjoyed it. I thought the guy who played the lead executioner was a great actor. Yeah, I liked yeah. his readings. I really liked mm. his exit where he sort yeah. of like tries to tough it up and then just sort of shrinks <laughs> it and runs off. Yeah. He, makes that, he almost makes that sound. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, and then he would sort of run on the spot. <laughs> run off. <laughs> <laughs> so he's very good. He's he's a he's a bit of a he's a bit of a prick. I like him. He's like you what you want someone who's you know you like a nice officious prick. Yeah. In Doctor Who. Someone so, that the doctor can puncture the pomposity of. Absolutely. You like doing your job a bit too much, don't you? <laughs> you just take a bit too much satisfaction. He's oh, very good. I like he's, he's a modern Mr. Chin. Yes. 
Um, great. John Henry, it is now your go for the second thing. I was going to say the vault for my second thing. <laughs> so, yes. But, um, I, I would like to mourn the vault ever so slightly because I, I do like those kind of locked box mysteries. Mm. Um, but I think you're absolutely right in saying there's only so long they can go on. Uh, and I think I think the one-word mysteries we got in the, in the early Russell T. Davies era were quite good because there's, there's literally nothing to them. They're just... They're sort of nagging at you occasionally, but the vault is so present. And yes, we've we've had one of the things that everyone's, I think everyone's been saying about the series so far is it's been really simple. Mm-hmm. It's been we have had the best run of simple non mythos episodes we've had in so long, and the vault has kind of kept all the all the the mythos stuff mm. almost behind those doors. And so, but I think you're absolutely right in saying that. The moment we find out it's the master, there's there's more fun to be had there. Mm-hmm. But also the design for the vault. I love the vault. Yeah, yeah. it's so amazing. creepy and that's a gothic Iron Maiden uh, <laughs> and sort the, of thing. And the Capaldi Doctor in front of it in the final mm. shot with the sunglasses oh, on. Yeah, he's like such an aging rock star physique, isn't it? He's yes. so cool. He really is. Also, his, also, I like his, his dusty jacket in uh, in the in the. Oh, I love that a, jacket. That's a good. That's another good Capaldi look. <laughs> I mean, I've been. My girlfriend is constantly telling me to uh, to button up my uh, to button up my uh, my cufflinks, my cuffs, and uh, Peter Capaldi doesn't. I can say now, uh, and I'm sure there will be a lot of schoolboys out there to say, "Well, oh, the Doctor Who doesn't. He looks very very uh, very good looking." Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> I like your school boy It's going to be fine, isn't it? Look at the doctor. Look at the doctor. <laughs> Please, miss. I didn't do my homework because Doctor Who doesn't. Three things that... <laughs> Can I change my second one to be the hereticum? Yes. Because I I, very, I did enjoy the hereticum and I think it's... Because it must have been a very... Speaking of... of uh, of locations, I think it must have been a rather cheap episode to do because there are only around three locations. I'm sure that's the same Oval Office set from, of course, <laughs> from uh, the uh, from the Impossible Astronaut, and the Alien landscape one is just a white room with some projectors in it. Exactly, I'm sure that's probably <laughs> the same white room that the t- that the Time Lords had on Gallifrey last season. I think as well, possibly it's just probably redressed. the Red Anchor facility. <laughs> Oh, the one from the girl who waited. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. That was all just white walls yeah. and stuff, wasn't just it? Just paint a room white. <laughs> just paint a room white. We'll put some white. It's probably in the it. Blue Peter Studios. It is. Yes. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> R.I.P. Not there anymore. <laughs> Too soon, Chris. Too soon. It's. Uh, but yeah, the Hereticum. But it does complete. I. Th- it, it is a. That is a very Moffaty trope because there are there are hidden under spaces to every single. Mm-hmm building in the Stephen Moffat's Doctor universe. So you've got the under gallery of the National Gallery. You've got the uh, the vault, the Black Archive. What's it? The Black Archive beneath Tower in of London? Tower. Yes. Uh, you've Unit. got, I think in in, uh, in Day of the Doctor alone, I think there are three hidden <laughs> spaces. So you've got uh, both of those. And then you've also got the Time Lord's... Uh, apocalypse yep uh, and there's a hidden space in their painting right where people can hide well of course mm. and i think that it's a very again it's this is doctor who at its very core this is an unearthly child whereby here are hidden spaces in in the everyday world so yeah. it's a police box it's not really a police box it's narnia but it's specifically with moffat here is a and this is another thing that we can say what's well, there in the invasion you know, here is aliens plus 
popular London landmark, but here, but it's very specifically there's a, a space beneath a popular landmark. So we're, we're currently we're currently beneath Christian Aid at this point in time recording are, this, yeah. this podcast. We are in the secret under gallery of Christian Aid. Uh, you know, in your house. You've just got, oh, well, you know, I'll put, a, I'll put a little uh, sort of underneath the house. It's the underhouse. It's, it's a cellar. It's a cellar, Stephen. And it's the underhouse. And you don't know what kind of evils might possibly be in there. And, uh, yeah, or the underflat, I was thinking, for, which is just uh, number two yeah. building. Just the, the flat underneath. Yeah, it's flat underneath. But yeah. I don't know what horrors my neighbours in number two are, 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 have got down there. They um, could have bestiaries of ancient... Gallifrey and weaponry for all I know. Um, you know, that's what Moffat is good at, taking the everyday, mm. like your neighbours, yeah. and turning them into scary things. Absolutely. So well done for that. Yes! <laughs> I won't be looking at them the same way. <laughs> you weird nine-to-five-in bastards. They, they probably, they're pretty much definitely looking at me and going, who is this guy? He's coming in late at night all the time. <laughs> Dressed as a wizard. Dressed as a wizard, yes. Very sweaty <laughs> wizard. Well, there we go. I look forward to seeing if there are any more underplaces before Watch the end of this one. season. <laughs> TM, John Henry. Uh, great. Underwears? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it works yeah, very well. Yeah, why not? Oh, great. Three things that we liked. I'm going to call it Peak Moffat. I feel mm. this is him back to doing doing things well. So it has a clever, slightly twisty plot, but it doesn't eat itself at the end. It has funny dialogue that doesn't seem smug most of the time. It has a great initial idea that kind of stays with you. I just think it's... It's just really nicely written, still fairly simple, delivers on a grand idea and has beautiful character moments and also hilarious moments in it. I think it's him doing him well. Uh, there's just a couple of examples that I realised when I watched it a second time that I wanted to share that I thought were really good. One is the priest who is sending all the emails out, who sends the email to CERN. That seems like a weird character, but what I realised his function was was to give some kind of explanation for the email that the doctor receives at the beginning. Because mm. if there's a rogue priest who's sending out emails, then that's enough of a kind of narrative plot point to just allow you as a viewer to go, okay, well, that he must have sent that email. And then you just put it aside so you're not wondering about it. So the function of that character is just to go, see, it'll all make sense, mm -hmm. sort of thing. And then, of course, it turns out to be that this is all in uh, all part of a simulation, all part of a memory the Doctor's playing back. But also, the episode plays fair with that as well, because you keep getting those digital artifacts on the screen. Yes. It kind of, after yeah. the title screen, it blocks in like that, and then at the end. So the clues are there if you are looking for them, and, and I think that's really nice that, 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 that this is solvable. It's not one of those Sherlock things where it's like, we couldn't possibly have known that. Mm. You could put it together in your, in your head. So that's really lovely. Um, satisfying. Very yeah. satisfying. Yeah. And uh, just a couple of other things. There's a suggestion that they've run the simulation a bunch of Ooh. times because mm. they say, we've killed you so many times. Yeah. <laughs> so it's only in this version that the Doctor uh, manages to prevail to any extent. So these guys have got a wealth of information and they're coming for him, which is really scary. Mm. Um, 
Oh, yeah. And the other thing that occurred to me that I thought was really interesting, I was like, why are people killing themselves? Why are all the scientists in CERN blowing themselves up? That seems slightly over the top. Mm. But then I realised if they've worked out <laughs> that an alien race is studying them and trying to get as much information as possible from them before Ooh. they go. Mm. Yeah. So what's the most hero heroic thing you can do? You can say you're not getting any more information out of this simulation. So that's actually, they are, be they, are they say that we're saving the world. They are, as much as they have the power to mm. do so. They've worked out they are a jumped-up subroutine, and they are, they're wiping themselves off the board, mm. which is quite heroic. It, yes. It's difficult. I, I found that bit. I found the suicide subplot, and I thought they did it very delicately. I saw an amazing play quite recently, which I highly recommend you seeing, uh, called Every Brilliant Thing uh, over the weekend. Uh, and uh, I believe there's a new... HBO version of it, which is just uh, about to about to go on TV, but uh, it is it is uh, about about a suicide in the family, and yeah, it's interesting. I was looking at this. They they talk about the Samaritans guys of what you can and can't say in terms of that, and I think I think they did it very delicately, considering it was used as a plot device in a show that's ostensibly aimed mm. at children. I felt it made me ever so slightly uncomfortable. Sure, no, I which, can see that. Which uh, is. Because I, I'm, I, I think you've got to be responsible for kids. But I mean, they did, of course, frame it at the end and say, "Well, this is all a simulation." Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still, potentially, I think there's stuff which might make you a little uncomfortable. Well, you know, so the world's it's full of phonies and it's fakery. Uh, but uh, and again, that's something which I think uh, it's hard for. A, I mean, my uh, my eight year old nephew was watching the show last week, and I was delighted. When he came, because he had to tell me because he knows I like Doctor, and he's mm. he's just at that age where he might he's at the age I was when I started watching. And of he, he saw Oxygen, and he thought the zombies were great, and he thought it was really scary, uh, but really fun and funny. And at the end, he said, "And capitalism's really bad," <laughs> <laughs> which I think his dad probably told him to say, my brother-in-law. But uh, at the same time, yeah, I, I thought that was I thought well, that's it's done its job, and it's it's amazing the capacity that. Doctor Who's actual original target audience has for being able to pick out what are the the actual important parts of an episode. Yeah. So I think it's it's yes, there was a lot of there there was stuff which was flying. I think might have flown gracefully over the head of an eight year old in in the potential impact of that kind yeah. of horror. But at the same time, I think. Yes, I think I think it was. They did a good job of spinning plates, but it uh, there were moments where it was, my stomach was just turning a little bit. No, I think it's a a good point, and yes. yeah, one that I possibly should have considered more. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm kind of with you in that my reaction was, I mean, why did they have that much dynamite in CERN that was so <laughs> easily accessible? Well, one uh, probably one of the scientists was Wiley Coyote. <laughs> it was like, guys. Because it was it. a simulation. They've been, they've been running yeah. the roadrunner around the yeah. Large Hadron Collider. That's how you, you, you accelerate <laughs> uh, particles, isn't that? That's science, You were an astrophysicist. No, no, that's how they do it, mate. This is true. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know anything about what I'm talking about. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, the story and the plot and the script was my third thing as well. Yes. Mm. Um, we, we did, but we didn't both need to be on this week. I know, I know. Well, I, I spotted two clues that you didn't. Okay, cool. Um, in the, and then they're both in Bill's flat as well. Ooh. I mean, and one of them might be just sort of a line that works fine, f you know, for Bill, but actually it might be Stephen Moffat kind of laying a seed, which was um, she tells him, 
when I've got a date in my real life, don't do things like this to me. <laughs> right. And she says real life, Ooh. not, you know, my life outside of what we do. Ooh, so right. that's, that's an interesting nugget that might be a clue, might not. But the other one, is, which I did pick up on quite quickly, was the TARDIS doesn't translate what the Pope is saying. Oh, yes. yes, he doesn't. I thought I'd noticed that as well, but I, the, yeah. that is a good point. So yeah. the aliens are there collecting information on Earth, but the TARDIS isn't from Earth. Mm. So it's sort of like a loophole in their, in their simulation. Oh. So maybe that's why it didn't translate everything. Yeah. That also got picked up on our community listeners' uh, Facebook group. That the the idea was that the simulation TARDIS might be trying to tell the Doctor something by purposely not translating everything. Oh, really? So the Doctor goes, "Wait, I should understand that." Um, so yeah, no, that's quite. <laughs> I, interesting. I should read the community more often. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I love the word commodity. Thanks, that's it's, really good. It's very near community, but it's also very near commodity. <laughs> yes, they um, are a vital commodity. We, we have got that wrong at least once. You are you are <laughs> like the the hideous spacesuits in oxygen. You are you are hideous capitalists using them and shaking them down yeah. for big yes. data podcasts. Yeah. Wow, Oof. we are going to make so much money. <laughs> Um, I will I will use this moment to say that if you are a listener of the Ucast, it is a very nice place, the community, because we're, we're only just starting, but it's a place where people talk about Doctor Who with respect and who like the show. And I think that's hard to find on the internet. So definitely, yeah, if you if you are a listener and you want to hear uh, hear more and discuss it, and we're all on it too, yeah. um, come and, and chat to us at the community. I should say I do read it more often. It's just this week, knowing that I was going to be here, I didn't want to read You're it. You're the father of a young son. You, you get a pass too, on but, everything. You know, I have to do something to ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> but I should also say that someone, uh, uh, well, I'll say who it is. It was Nat Tipman. They mm. uh, suggested the joke that made up the first sketch this week. So not my joke. Ooh. It was Nat's. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> it's already happened in their timeline. <gasps> Oh my gosh! Yeah, I know. <laughs> right, that's us all done. You've completed the replica Earth. Down to the grains of dust in your secret library thingy. Good. And our appearance. What about it? You made sure we look as pristine as the rest of the world. Pristine? Like everyone else. The humans? Yes. So we can integrate, pass amongst them unnoticed. Yep. Because you don't sound sure. That was in the brief, was it? Paragraph three. Oh, uh, of course. Paragraph three. Yeah. Definitely read it. So we'll be okay. You're sorted, mate. Regular human flesh tones, smooth skin, natty threads. You'll fit right in. Good. So if you'll um, settle up. We'll be on our way. You're in a bit of a hurry, aren't you? Oh, no, not at all, Gov, not at all. Uh, should really have been at another job an hour ago. Already had him on the phone twice asking where we are. Very well. We said 250, didn't we? 300, I thought. Peter Capaldi speeches are, are my absolute favourite. I mean, poor old Matt Smith would... He's a very... He's a very He's a live wire actor, and he's got he had some amazing speeches. But quite often, his his big eccentric, flourishy speeches. Uh, I'm looking at you, uh, Rings of Akatan, where he's just shouting at a star for a bit. <laughs> uh, were, did let him down, but it, I think Peter Capaldi lowballing in 
the you know a big Doctor Who-y speech, but at the, at the end where he he knows he's a simulation now and he's talking to the monk. But and I think again, it's that marvelous thing, and it comes back to River Song's little thing. You know, goodness is only goodness in extremis. Virtue is only virtue in extremis. Where he says, "You don't have to be the Doctor to be the Doctor." And again, because I do always see it as a children's show mm. uh, that I still watch and am delighted to do so. But I think again that uh, him as a moral, as a moral arbiter, uh, someone who's who's going to be able to who's going to be the the hero to a load of children. I think. Yeah, yeah. There's a little doctor in all of us, that, and uh, yeah. All you have to do is just tell the truth, report the truth, think about the world around you, and test it for its uh, its moral complexities. I think that's I think that's great. And he really does low. He doesn't do grandiloquent speechifying in that mm. bit. He's just really lowballing it in, and I love it. I thought it was a really beautiful performance. So that's my that's my other favourite thing. This bit is not so good. So coming back briefly to the suicides thing, and it's I was I looked over the the Samaritans guidelines for how you how you report these things and how you put it into drama suits. And one of the th- big things to say is not making it into a melod. Don't treat it melodramatically. Mm-hmm. And whereas, of course, you know it is treated as a plot device to some extent. Uh, it's it, it is always given a bit of the pause that's required but it's it's a bit it's a bit yeah it's a bit it, it made me a little uncomfortable i mean mm. how did it make you guys feel I mean, i'm just interested now you say it it seems so obvious and i i should have been a little bit more but yeah it it, it did as you said it flew over your eight-year-old nephew's head it flew over my head yeah uh, i was I, watching it with someone for who, whom it had sure. uh, and so i was perhaps a little more aware of it but at the same time it was um I know this is something that you, you deal with regularly. I don't know because I didn't watch the live hmm. broadcast whether the BBC tactfully put in one of those things they put at the end of EastEnders where they go, if you've no, been affected by any of the details. Uh, didn't watch it live either, I'm no, afraid. No, no. But, uh, played uh, it. At the same time, it, it's a really strange one because do you put it at the end, say, if you've been affected by any of the details about uh, any of the issues in this uh, in this episode of Doctor Who where reality was non-existent <laughs> and you were, in fact, all computer simulations, yeah. then please call this number. It's the same numbers. Everyone can say them the moment you get you slap the table. Right. I don't. Know. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's difficult, but at the same time, yeah, it's. I know if 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 it had affected me more close to him, perhaps it would have. What I will say is, no one. It wasn't framed as people being cowardly, or no. it it wasn't. It, they weren't weak people who no. did it. That and, it wasn't any of that. Was and that's, it? they didn't make. Uh, they didn't make a virtue of the bravery of it either. No. If, if the reasoning was, well, let's stop them. They didn't make that into a thing either. So it was, you know, it was neither brave or cowardly. Yeah, and it's 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 a bit different to Vincent of the Doctor, which I, mm. I rewatched actually for the first time since it, it was on last time. Mostly because I hate the ending. I hate the I hate the, I think he's the greatest artist of all time. So that just I think he's my favourite artist. Yeah, but sure. yeah, that that kind of yeah that that annoyed me. But the but I think yeah, dealing with the fact that. Showing all the marvelous things that Doctor Who can do, and takes him into the takes Vincent Van Gogh into the gallery, mm. shows him round, you know, shows him. Well, your paintings last forever, and this is your legacy, and that still can't save him. That's a very mm. potent, uh, a very potent image for for what it feels like. I think to live with depression, you know, you don't have the. It doesn't matter what people tell you or all the nice things in your life. That's it's still going to be something which 
can affect you in that way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, giving an episode to give that idea its pause and to contextualize it and metaphoricalize it for, again, young kids. Young kids, yeah, yeah. I think is amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's sort of in a way that extremists, because of the nature of the plot, couldn't really do. But yeah, I think, yes, I mean, your mileage may vary. But uh, yeah, it was something that I felt ever so, in, in an episode that I really enjoyed, maybe feel ever so slightly uncomfortable. I mean, mine's going to seem really stupid after that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all use a bit of stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm not a doctor as a sexual being apologist. I think he definitely has had sex. What was the 1996 Paul McGann movie all about, mate? It's, we're all on the same page. <laughs> I think probably the ninth and possibly the tenth doctor had relations with Rose in the TARDIS. Ooh. I am fine with that. I don't think he has to be a monk. But I do not like this Moffat trope of every time the Doctor has met a great woman of history, it means that he's had an affair with mm. that woman. <laughs> like, they're not just objects to have a dalliance with. Yes. Mm. Not, like, every time it turns out that he's, oh, yeah, we had a wonderful night together, cheeky. It's just like, Charmed just once. Charmed her with a castanet. Yeah. Also, yeah. the fact it's also the Pope as well. <laughs> Pope <laughs> yeah. Benedict the Ninth, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. It's quite a rich bit, that. I yeah. would like him to meet an incredible historical figure who was a woman and just go, yeah, we stayed up all night, we got drunk, and we talked about stuff. And it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, not like, and then we had sex. It doesn't have to happen every time. <laughs> I mean, there's a, even a little bit, you know, when Tom Baker says, you know, his scarf was knitted by Madame Nostradamus. She was a witty little knitter. So <laughs> the way he says it makes it sound like there's been something going on there. Well, I'm happy with metaphor to a very deep <laughs> level or just an, a line read. I just feel like Moffat has pulled that particular trick one time too often. I yeah. I agree. On the in terms of headcanon of which doctors definitely have had sex, Tom Baker and Romana are doing it constantly. <laughs> uh, Romana two, I, I listened to. Her. There was a, like the whole romance in Romana, with Romana one, but then didn't really. It was a will they won't they? Mm. They definitely didn't. It's Romana two though. Yeah, totally did. I mean, you can't fake that kind of chemistry, can you? Why do they go to Paris? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I don't really have that much to complain about, to be honest. Um, and but picking up on your point, I do. I mean, it's slightly irritating when there is a big sort of Catholic myth that he could have used for that bit. He chose a, an actual pope who, it's historically provable, was an actual man. Mm. When there is, you know, roughly the same point in history, there is the whole Pope Joan thing. Of course, yeah, legendary. Pope he Joan. could have used that. Mm. <laughs> that would have been fine because it's not a real person. Yeah. Also, you know, it, it would have been annoying still because it's still the famous person from history that, oh yes, I've had her, kind of thing. Not that it's that vulgar. But, but in but, terms of yeah, of Catholic folklore and legend, I think yeah, that would. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not a Catholic or an expert on Catholic history, and I know <laughs> that. So it's yeah. yeah. I have to admit that I thought that he was talking about the one that was historically a woman. So I didn't know that that wasn't that one. That's why I got so annoyed about it. So, so there hasn't actually been a pope that's been a woman. Oh, that was disproved. Just, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a myth. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. We all learned something. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my bad thing. People are historically ignorant. So, uh, well, there, I guess I, my eye looks pretty stupid yeah, now. Sorry, when I say people, I mean Chris Sigma <laughs> is historically. <laughs> uh, wow. On that bombshell, never been a female pope. Boom. 
Uh, <laughs> When's that going to happen? We've got to sort it out. Yeah. Come I mean, the next doctor is going to be a woman. I hope. I, to, I mean, fingers crossed, Tilda Swinton. But I, I'm aware that Olivia oh, Colman. But then, me. I, I do. I do kind of hope that if it is a woman. There is a whole season where every famous person she she mentions. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, did him Henry VIII. Yeah, <laughs> totally banged. Yeah, obviously his first, third, and fourth wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not in that regeneration. <laughs> Patrick Troughton, <laughs> Colin Baker, and uh, Peter Davison. Uh, all, all. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't get that out of my head now. Do you have? Do you want to do a live haiku? I have a Ooh. haiku. Oh, lovely. The haiku for extremists. Ancient text murders people who aren't really there. Doctor starts again. Very nice. And what episode <laughs> of the Ucast would be complete without the dulcet tones of Andrew Candish and his section, Classic Andy? It's Andy. Woo! It's Andy. Yeah. It's time for Classic Andy. With stuff he saw inside the show that he thinks that they planned. Woo! They did it again. 25 minutes in, we have a build-up of danger for everyone, culminating in the Doctor putting his life in danger to read the Veritas. Is anyone offering to edit this series' episodes into 25-minute classic series two-parters? The idea of an alternate Earth to run as an invasion trial-run simulation is, of course, a nod to the android invasion, which was complete with a fake Sarah Jane Smith. And when the Doctor swears to look after Missy, there's a lovely nod to Robert Holmes's The Deadly Assassin, as he declares himself a member of the Prydonian chapter of the Time Lords. I love that we don't know what that means. I love that there's still a question of who is the Doctor. Are the Prydonians an immensely powerful group of Time Lords that have gifted the Doctor with special powers and a secret mission? Or are they just his old schoolhouse at the Time Lord Academy? or an ancient and pompous tradition that he got bored of and ran away from. But there's something else in the story I like. The Doctor's clear abhorrence of the idea of execution, and striving to do good in extreme situations without reward or witness. This reminds me of a line from Pyramids of Mars that has always stayed with me, in which the Doctor declares that the Osirans couldn't execute Sutek, because to do so would make them no better than him. I love the Doctor. He's my kind of hero. As Stephen Moffat said, he has an extra heart to care more and carries a screwdriver instead of a gun. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week. It has been an absolute pleasure. Same. It's been a delight. As always. Yeah. Uh, you are welcome back anytime, John. Henry. Oh, thanks. Uh, and as for you at home, thank you so much for putting us in your ears once again. <laughs> We will see you next week where we continue this plot arc in the pyramid at the end of the world. Yeah. That's evil. I think but that's what it's called. This <laughs> is the one that adds up to the entire length of all the series titles put together in one go now. Yeah, they, they, they've been very frugal with their word count. <laughs> yes. Now they're blowing it out the water. <laughs> like um, a telegram. <laughs> until we get to speak again, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And I shall say goodbye also. I had a meeting with some cardinals and then the Pope. They had a problem and they told me that they couldn't cope. An ancient document designed to make you lose your mind. Could I read the translation please? But I'm
can and now the Pentagon The scientists at CERN, they are all dead and gone The US president, he took a lot of pills Even worse, you stopped a sexy data pills I read it! Dissolving into cute lies There's just a string of code inside a simulated fight But still it's pretty bad to have to watch this death of friends I hope to God this email sense That's what they always say You want to take the earth But I am in your way You're so damn cowardly You need to practice first This world is defended So come and do your worst I read it I read it It's the truth I read it It's the truth I read it Nobbly bits. There we go. Yeah. I'll put that at the end.